Welcome to the Unstoppable Yes You podcast, where we celebrate the achievements of Caribbean people to inspire the next generation. I'm your host, Curlis Phillip. Caribbean creativity is unstoppable. And in this new series, I will introduce you to artists that are moving the Caribbean and Black culture forward. From contemporary paintings to photography to mixed media, you'll get to feel the passion, inspiration, and techniques that fuel these artists' work. They'll share helpful tips for those of you who are interested in learning what it takes to thrive in this space. Today, I am excited to be speaking with art, educator, and contemporary visual artist, April Bay. April is a Bahamian-American best known for her vibrant mixed media work. Her work includes icons and anti-heroes of Bahamian and American culture. April's work can be found in her studio in LA, the National Art Gallery of the Bahamas, in the collection of the California African American Museum, and at the Center for Contemporary Printmaking. April, welcome. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Where in the Bahamas are you from? Yes, so my mom is American and my dad is Bahamian, so I grew up in the Bahamas. In particular, I grew up on New Providence, Nassau, which is our capital city, in between that island and Eleuthera, which is a, another it's a family island. Um, and that's where I spent most of my formative years um, until high school. And that's kind of when the decision was made for me to start looking into art, as that's what I was interested in at that time. Was high school the first time? You took an interest in art? Well, you know, like what's really interesting is that like in the Bahamas, art is re- is a really big deal in, in primary school and even high school. Like it was part of our standardized testing, actually. So I grew up with all of us being in art class. Maybe some of us were better than others, but we all learned like basic crafting. We had Junkanoo too, which is our like major parade that we have that is very heavily heavily impacted by craft and art so it was just when we got to high school they were like well now you have to pick a career that's like gonna serve you know functionally so every Christmas I got one of those cheap art kits that had like all the oil pastels and everything in it and that was just always something that I was really into so it was the kind of thing when by by time as I got to high school I think everyone pretty much knew, okay, she's really good at this. She kept doing it past the required years. And so we have to support her doing this seriously if she's really going to do it. Did you have any major influences that fueled your interest in art and your direction in art? Um, seeing Junkanoo was my only exposure to art. When I moved to the U.S. and started high school, my exposure to art was very surface level, like what you would expect a typical American would interact with and something that was real. Like I didn't understand the gap between me learning about this painting that Van Gogh did and the point of people calling him an artist and saying that he's this great person. And so I had to go through school and read a lot to understand, oh, so they were normal. They started out normal and they just kept doing it. And And then people wanted them to keep doing it. So they gave them money to keep doing it. And um, so I I don't think I really had art influences until I got to my first art history class in college, to be honest. 
because I just didn't know what I liked. I, I was told up until that point, this is art. And so up until I got to college, I was like, well, maybe I don't know what art is because I don't like anything. Nothing is really appealing to me yet. So the more I studied art, the more I realized, oh, I should go down this path if I want to see art that's going to like reference Obia or that's going to reference things that I grew up with and I understand and I'm attracted to. When I saw your work on Instagram, it just spoke to me. I, I think partly because it was just so bold and bright and captivating. So take us through that journey in terms of, you know, the different type of media you use in your art and if you have like a favorite approach. The way I make my art is also very um, Caribbean, very Bahamian, like if like, cause you know, we can't just go into an art store and have everything we want perfectly. Like sometimes you gotta make do with this brand of paint that you know smears and then you have to like use this type of fabric to fix that. And you kind of put everything together and you slap it together and it works out in the end. And so when I was in school, I kind of just worked with that technique of putting in my work what I could afford, but also what worked, what I had readily available. And so I I carried that into my own practice now because sometimes there are things that I want to see that doesn't occur naturally. So for example, I went on a residency and I was obsessed with the idea of sewing into glass. That's the only thing that I thought about. I was like, I want to sew fabric into glass. And I obsessed over that for the longest time. And then I figured out how to do it. And that's like my pieces, we call them the Jolly Rancher pieces. They're the ones that have like a clear glassy resin coat. And there's like thousands of holes drilled into it so that I can sew into it. So I get what I want in the end, but it's the process of like figuring out how to combine textiles with a certain type of metallic thread that will survive going through wood and resin and what type of resin would survive getting a thousand holes in it and won't crack and so all of the different materials and mediums mean something um as so far as like making what happen what i want to happen visually and i like a lot of texture conflicts in the work so that people have to like sit with it for a while before they realize what it is they're looking at. So there's all kinds of different types of textiles. I sew a lot because I have trust issues with adhesives. I am a collage artist, but like none of the stuff you'll see collaged in my work is is used with glue. It's all sewn. So if it's something I want to cut up and put down, it has to be sewn and cut into that shape and holes have to be drilled because I, I just really like the... Um, physicality of hand sewing and I know it's going to stay where I put it because I sewed it myself and I tied it off myself I actually thought it was glue to be honest I didn't realize it was sewed yeah tell us a little bit about the themes and the messages and the ideas that you're trying to convey with your work I grew up pretty wild like I was on really good behavior so like for the most part my Grammy and like you know the adults were like she's not gonna get in trouble and I used to just go on adventures and like go to the beach all the time like when the tide was low and I would walk out for miles and like create all these stories in my head plus I was really obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle as a kid because I was like we live right here like we're we're in it like we could be having adventures and my cousins were so afraid of it and they were like oh why are you like this and I'm like but we don't know if it's bad like it could be magical but I also read a lot as a kid a lot of my work now is 
made from the premise of me being an alien from another planet that's like making work about earth and it has a lot of like caribbean references to it like a lot of deities um the planet is called atlantica i grew up in the atlantic ocean you'll see a lot of references to tourism and colonialism in my work because i grew up in the tourist industry in the bahamas we had a family restaurant and there's like this visual imagery that you see when you get to the Bahamas or when you get to any tropical country in the Caribbean, where it's a lot of tourists enjoying themselves and being opulent, but the only time you see the locals are in terms of them serving tourists. And so I only show in my work um, things that are my reality. And, and my reality may be alien, but it's my reality nonetheless. And in my reality, a lot of Black people are on vacation being served and they they have like high opulence and that's normal that's not something where people are like hey yes go girl no it's that's just every day so you're going to see a lot of black opulence in my work a lot of um speculative futurism and afrofuturism i actually joined this group on facebook called afrofuturism it's just so captivating, just powerful. These are images that we want to see more of and that our kids should be seeing more of. So I want to touch on your um, art education background a little bit. And I saw that you taught um, what was considered a controversial course called Pretty Hurt. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um. So this was a long time, like before everybody knew what they needed to know to be decent human beings, um, I taught a class called Pretty Hurts, and it was analyzing process-based art and Beyonce feminism, like online feminism. And the class was supposed to teach students how to be more clear in their work. So not just, so like students were making pieces that had all of these deep meanings, like, and they would put all of these deep meanings in their titles, but you couldn't really see in the art what they were trying to say. And it was also a class that was exploring everything through the lens of feminism, and in particular, like, Black feminism, Black womanism. And it was controversial because there aren't very many classes that teach, you know, Black feminism, Black womanism or even like focus on the fact that black women were left out of the conversation. So we we studied a lot of feminist art and made a very clear notation that it was mostly white women that led that movement. And then once we studied that movement, we recontextualized it, just like we recontextualized the process of making the work. Um, so that that's that was the first class that I wrote and taught when I got out of grad school. And you know, you mentioned that it was mostly white women that sort of brought that to the forefront. Why do you think that is? Well, I'm just based on history. It was quicker for them to get the right to vote if it was only white women, because black women not only didn't have the right to vote, but they didn't have equal rights at all. So in order for them to bring black women with them through the women's suffragette movement, they would have had to fight for the civil rights that didn't happen until the 60s. So collectively, they were like, well, you know, we'll be able to help you more if we, if we, we go on ahead and save ourselves. That's, that's what I understand from studying the theory. 
I know you talked about a lot about the influences of the Bahamas on your work. Is there any experience that's connected to your work that really stands out? Well, the experience would be the talk that my dad gave me because that's the origin story of Atlantica. That day when I went to school and like somebody brought up my hair and they're like, your hair doesn't look like your mom's hair. And I was you know what? It doesn't. And then I started like feeling my face and I was like, my lips are bigger too. And my nose is on my cheeks. And like, I don't understand. And those are things that I was discovering. And so when I asked my dad about it, because from my perspective as a child, my dad is black. Everybody's black. He has to know the answer because he looks like everybody that's questioning me. And he says, you know what? We're always going to look different from them and he them are white people right he's like because we're aliens from another planet and this was his genius idea because he was like well you're too young to understand this so i'm and he's a huge sci-fi nerd so was i and so he was like we're, we we were sent here to observe a report and it's a secret just know that you're special and they just don't know it's a secret we're, we're agents and I carried that with me for years and it wasn't until recently like I want to say like a few years ago I brought it up and my dad was like did I do a good job and I was like you you did the best I don't know how I would there's no way I could do that you know like parenting is one of those jobs where you have no experience at all and you're just left there flailing so that's kind of like I'm what I'm developing right like this this planet he told me we're from as a way to mask societal racism is basically the thesis of all the work I'm making now is creating this planet for us. That's awesome. That whole idea of Wakanda was so invigorating for everyone. So the more of those type of stories that we can tell and images that we can show, I think is definitely what's needed. So beyond like, you know, Instagram, I know you've done a number of solo exhibits. So tell us how you went about securing your exhibit. I have to be 100% honest and say that my country, the Bahamas, like the community there, it was always going to be them. Now that I look at my career, like when I was a student, my first gallery show was in the Bahamas. It was curated by Tessa Whitehead at this like little gallery called Liquid Courage Gallery. It was attached to a liquor store. My first museum show was in the Bahamas. And even right now, like I'm represented by a Bahamian gallery proudly. So that is a key pivotal part of my career was just going home. <laughs> um, and when I went to school, I went to school in the US, mind you. So what they taught us in school was, oh, you have to network, you have to go to openings, you have to do this, you have to do that. And like the first year I get out of school, I say, okay, let me, let me do this. It's not a part of my personality at all. Like I, I used to play alone a lot as a child, like on my primary school transcripts, like the, the report card, my teacher would always say, she's so smart. She's so well-behaved, but she needs to make more friends. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I had friends, but I was like a one friend, a semester type person. So like, I tried to do that. And LA is so big and I felt so overwhelmed. And I was like, you know, 
let me just mind my business and work in my studio. And that's what I did. That's what worked for me is making the work and fumbling through it so that the work actually was good. And then once the work was good, people noticed and they came to me. Like I was applying for shows and not getting in. And then I realized it's because I just got out of grad school and my work is school work and I have to like discover my work now. And then once I started doing that, um, people were asking me to be in shows and show anywhere all the time. Like I have a requirement that I don't sell any work unless it's been at least exhibited once. And it could be in a pop-up closet. It could be in a, a college, a nonprofit, wherever as long as it gets exhibited once. And I did a lot of that. When I got out of school, I showed everywhere. <laughs> everywhere I could. Anyone who, anyone that would have me, I would show. Thanks for sharing that because there is no one path. There is no one formula. And as you think about your accomplishments to date, because I, I know that your biggest accomplishment is still years ahead of you, but what would you say is your greatest um, achievement to date? I can take care of myself. That's something I've always wanted since I was a child, was to be independent. And that's a very, very, very big accomplishment in L.A. County. <laughs> and, you know, I'm very blessed in that sense. But that, that I mean, of course, I have, I have like 10 more steps to my ultimate goal of like buying my mommy a house and like, you know, no debt, everything, all student loans gone. Um, success for me is like freedom. Like no fear, freedom. That's awesome. As you look at art around the world or locally or nationally, um, are there any things that you see that influence the direction in which you take your work? Um, not really, you know, because... I, I'm so far in my head reading and like I would say I'm really into African futurism right now, like an African jujuism um, fiction books. Um, I'm just even music wise, like I don't I kind of stay in myself and, and go what, what, where I'm interested in things that I'm interested in. And what role do you believe that art or artist has in society? To be a witness. Yeah, to be a witness. And as you think about and, and reflect on like Caribbean artists, um, why do you think that some may have been so unknown or overlooked? Um, I, can, I, I only have really good reference of Bahamian artists. Um, I do have, you know, I'm getting more familiar with Puerto Rican artists and Jamaican artists, but I'd say our issues are very similar to the issues that African artists have. That for a very long time, the art was devalued because of who it was coming from. You know, just like our, in every sector, like our actors were devalued. There are so many Bahamian actors here in LA. And the only reason I know that they're here is if I join a group, but they're not out there. Like that's not a big part of their personality. Their personality is more of like, I wanna be an actor in Hollywood not a Bahamian actor, because I feel like that smallness or that perceived smallness or primitiveness is what devalues what we put out there. And I think it's only been recently that the wider art world and the, the wider creative sector is like, oh, 
this isn't like primitive this is seasoned it's just a different like flavor and it's actually delicious like and this can be included and we would have more options and therefore what we produce would be even more diverse and and flavorful so and i think the internet and technology has contributed to that a lot Um, because i even look at the students now right when i was in the bahamas i lusted to leave i wanted to go to the the states so bad oh yes (laughs) we all did right (laughs) Yes, I was like, oh, this is going to be so amazing. And, but I was patient and I didn't feel like it was dire. And sometimes, you know, coming from a small island, you feel like the world is so big mm-hmm. and not having access, you know, back then, right, um, to the internet to be able to see, you just felt really close and sheltered. So the first opportunity you, you got, I know, like, we used to say, oh, we can't wait to get off this rock. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. And now people are like, why did you leave where you came from? Like, who would leave such a beautiful place, you know? So, April, what's the best advice you've been given? Um, To treat everybody you meet as if they're someone very special. Because, you know, and, and I'm just talking about the art world, like, you never know who's sitting next to you at a dinner. You never know who's coming up to you. Always go to your openings, meet everybody with the same vigor and respect and just assume that they're very, very special because they could be very, very special to someone. And as long as you treat everyone the same at that level, which is the highest level possible, then you're good. I couldn't agree more. You've shown them respect and like, you know, hopefully love as well. And I think that transcends not just, you know, in your space, but in every space, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, for example, you walk into the lobby of your, you know, office building and there are people that are treated as if they're invisible. Yeah. And they're there every day. You see them every day. And I walk in with a big smile and good morning and how you're doing because you just never know what that greeting you know, might do for that person on that particular day. Yeah, and that's so that's what that's how we do, right? It's like good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. They don't that's not a big thing here in the US, but that's that's how we were raised for a reason. Exactly. That brought up to So complete this sentence for me. I feel unstoppable when I'm cooking. Yes. I love to cook. I grew up in a family restaurant, so I was forced to learn how to cook. But when I became an adult I actually got into it. I already had the skills, but instead of it being like my Grammy or my mom being like, cut 50 onions, we have to get all this stuff done. It's more of me being like, oh, I can cut four onions and make puleyasa, my favorite Senegalese dish. And I collect cookbooks now and like, I love it. Oh, that's cool. And what's your favorite Bahamian dish? Oh, probably guava duff. What's that? It's like, so duff is like a steamed bread pudding. And it's like, you know, like a, like a cinnamon roll, only in the middle, it's guava. And you roll it up and you steam it in a, in a silk pillowcase for a few hours. And then it has a butter rum sauce that goes over top. Butter rum vanilla sauce that, sounds that goes over the top. Yeah, it's very delicious. Well, the next time I visit the Bahamas, I'll have to try that. When I went there in 2021 for the summer... Um, it was conch. Everyone was like, you have to try the conch this, the conch salad, the conch this. So I, I was all about the conch. <laughs> well, 
that's our main meat there. Yeah. April, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. It was a delight speaking with you. And uh, tell our guests where they can connect with you. I'm on Instagram. It's just my first and last name, April like the month, Bay, B like boy, E like Edward, Y like Yankee, underscore. To our Unstoppable Yes You Tribe, thank you for your continued success. And don't forget to check out more stories about Caribbean impact makers, rising stars, and trailblazers at unstoppableyesyou.com. <laughs>